Please, brothers and sisters, I would ask that you turn with me then in your Bibles to our, our text this morning, which comes from Revelation chapter 9 and verses 1 to 12. Revelation chapter 9 and verses 1 to 12. Revelation chapter 9 and verses 1 to 12. Please then, brothers and sisters, if you would hear with me the reading of God's Inspired and inerrant word. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. And from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like woman's hair, and their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first Woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Thus far is the reading of God's Word. Now, brothers and sisters, last week we were introduced to the first four trumpets from the third cycle of visions, which we will find in chapters 8 through 11. And these trumpets were sounded by these four angels as they were given authority to sound them. And these trumpets, we said, symbolized judgment. And this judgment was was God's judgment to sinners for their idolatry and for their persecution of, of Christ's church. And it was poured out upon this earth in response to the the prayers of the saints. Likewise, we said that it is Joshua 6 in the fall of Jericho, which lies in the background of our text as well. Because why? We said, just as the six trumpets that were blown before the seventh were setting up that seventh and decisive trumpet blast which made the walls of Jericho crumble, so too in our text, these first six trumpet blasts set up the seventh trumpet blast, which brings decisive judgment causing this world and its systems to come crumbling down. We likewise, though, said secondarily, not only was this a a judgment, but likewise it is a warning to people as well. 
And we see that because only a third is affected. A, a third of the earth was affected. A third of the sea. A, a third of the rivers. A third of the sun and the moon and the stars, which did what? It foreshadowed the greater judgment to come upon all men who continue in the rebellion against Almighty God, our Sovereign Lord, who we seen last week in all of His omnipotence is the one who stands behind these trumpet judgments. Right? He is the one causing all these things to befall man. But what is true of man? What do we continue to see of man? Not only in the first century, but now in the 21st century. What we continue to see in response to these judgments that man continues to experience is the depravity of man. We continue to see the, the hardness of the human heart. We see the enmity that is in the heart of man towards their Creator. We see the extreme bitterness that lies in the, in the veins of, of the sinner. And we see the, the folly and the utter irrationality that they are consumed with in their minds as they see all the works that God has done. And yet, what do they do? They, they dig in their heels against Him looking to go against the Lord who fashioned them in their mother's womb and who has provided for them life. And this is not the exact same thing that we've seen of Pharaoh last week as we highlighted that many of these trumpet judgments resemble the plagues of Egypt. And what did those plagues of Egypt do to Pharaoh? What did turning the Nile to blood do? And the sending down hail and fire or even the the killing of the firstborn, did it cause Pharaoh to repent and believe and bow the knee to Almighty God? No, it didn't. For a time it seemed, though, that it softened Pharaoh's heart, didn't it? Because after that tenth plague, what does Pharaoh do? He, He calls Moses and Aaron into his presence, and he says, Go out from among my people, you and the Israelites, and go and serve the Lord as you have said. And it appeared for a moment his, his, his stance had softened. That he had relented after seeing the judgments of Almighty God. But then, what happens? Right Soon it gives way. And in his heart is kindled again anger and hatred for the Lord and His people. And we read about that in Exodus chapter 14, verse 5. Where we are told this, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people, and they said, what is this that we have done? That we have let Israel go from serving us. And so what did Pharaoh do? He he reverses course. He follows after the Israelites. But he follows after them unto his demise and his own destruction. But why, brothers and sisters, why after experiencing what he experienced and seeing what he saw and hearing what he heard, would he do such a thing? I think Paul gives us the best answer to that. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth of God. You see, brothers and sisters, people are constantly trying to convince themselves that God does not exist. And if God does exist, then certainly not the God that the prophets and the apostles and His own beloved Son declare and reveal to the world and who now the church declares this day. 
Right? Even when sinners see this reality before them, when they see the general revelation of God in nature, when they hear God's special revelation as declared by His church, they refuse to submit to the Lord. They refuse to serve the Lord God in Him only. Right? Herod Antipas was a, was a great example of this, wasn't he? He knew John the Baptist was a prophet of God, sent by God, and yet, what did he do? He took the prophet's head. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to see that sinners every day are being warned. And they are being stricken with these judgments. And yet, what do we see? That the sinner continues to harden themselves against the Lord. But this is how totally deceived and depraved the sinner is. And because of it, the only thing that's going to happen is that greater calamity will continue to come upon this earth and all who dwell upon the earth. This is why the, the eagle that John hears in chapter 8, verse 13 says then, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. Right? They, woe, 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 because the next three calamities of the fifth trumpet and the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet only intensify. And this is what we will see then, brothers and sisters, this week. As the first four trumpet judgments had to really do with, with physical judgments upon the earth, what we will see under the fifth trumpet is that it will deal with a great spiritual judgment that will come upon the people that God will permit as He further punishes this wicked world. And it's depicted for us then as this locust judgment. Now, many of you may be familiar with Hal Lindsey. And I believe it's in Hal Lindsey's book, The, the Late Great Planet Earth. He suggests that we ought to see the, the locust here in Revelation 9 as Chinese attack helicopters. But what I want to suggest to you is that something that he says about that statement is actually true. Something he says there is actually right. And that is that we are not to see these locusts as literal, physical locusts that are going to be gallivanting around, stinging folks with scorpion tails. And there are many indicators for us in our text and why we are not to understand them as as literal locusts, but rather we are to understand them as spiritual judgment which only affects the unsealed. And it affects them with internal torment. And we will see that as we look at our text later. But what I also want us to see is that since the heart of sinful man is the same in every age, that what is described for us in our text here depicts for us the storm that sweeps over all of mankind, over every generation, as they refuse to believe in the one true God and confess the name of His beloved Son, Jesus Christ. And so the first point then that we want to look at this morning to help us to understand and to identify what this locust judgment is, uh, we will call the origin and purpose of the locusts. That is our first point this morning. The origin and the purpose of the locusts. If we understand, brothers and sisters, where the locusts are coming from, right? if we understand why they are coming, it's going to help us then to understand better what these symbols mean to convey to us. 
And so point number one, the, the origin and the purpose of the locust. Please look with me then, beginning at verse one. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts of the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. And so the first thing I want us to see there, and I hope that we can all agree upon, is that this fallen star is not to be taken as a literal star. How do we know that? Well, because how can a star grab hold of a key and open a bottomless pit? Right, and so we see that the, the star here is a, a personified star. It's a symbolic star. It's not a literal star. Now, the star, we're told, is given the key to the bottomless pit. Now, we have to ask, what is the bottomless pit? Well, it's depicted for us throughout Scripture as the, the realm or the place or the prison where evil spirits and demons are confined. You know, we see this in a text like Luke chapter 8, verse 31. I'm sure we're all familiar with the story where Jesus heals the man with the legion. What is it that we're told after he relieves him of all of those demons? That the demons cry out to the Lord, begging him not to command them to depart to the abyss or to the bottomless pit. Right? They did not want to go to the place of torment. In Isaiah chapter 24, verses 21 to 22, we're told that God is going to punish evil angels and wicked rulers. And there he says, And they will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison. And so do we see there, the bottomless pit described as, as a prison where the demons and the wicked are shut up and must stay. William Hendrickson comments, The abyss indicates hell before the final judgment. And so, brothers and sisters, what we need to understand is that throughout Scripture, right, the bottomless pit or the abyss is, is the dark prison in which evil spirits reside, in which they are kept. And we know this too because this is where the, the beast comes out from. He comes out from the abyss. He comes out from the bottomless pit. We see that in Revelation chapter 11, verse 7. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them. Right? The pit is likewise the place that Satan will be cast that we read about in Revelation chapter 20 and verses 1 to 3. And so we need to see here today that the origin of the locust is this bottomless pit. Right? It, it is the abyss. It is this hellish pit that is reserved for the demons in which they are to be kept until they are cast into the lake of fire. And so then we have to ask, why are they released? Right? What is their purpose for being released upon the earth? And brothers and sisters, what we must clearly see is that it is a judgment. Right? They, are, they are cast upon the earth. They are released. The key is given to them so that they might come up and be a judgment upon the earth. That is what the, the smoke rising out of the pit and the, the darkening of the sun in the air likewise convey to us. Right? Oftentimes, we, we, we all know this, darkness connotes judgment in Scripture. Think about it. When Jesus is hanging up on the cross for three hours, what happens? 
Darkness covers the land. Now what we need to see is that there are a couple of texts that, that lay behind uh, Revelation chapter 9 today in our text this morning. Uh, one of those is Joel chapter 2. Right In Joel chapter 2, we actually are told about another locust judgment that is going to come upon the Israelites. Uh, and we read in Joel 2 verse 10 that the earth will quake before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. And so we hear and see, brothers and sisters, here that the, the darkening of the sun and the moon is a sign of what? It's a sign of impending judgment, this locust judgment that the Lord is going to send upon His people if they do not repent of their sin. Likewise, this text not only is alluding to Joel chapter 2, but it likewise is alluding to Exodus chapter 10. It's making reference back to the eighth plague, which was what? It was the locust plague, wasn't it? And what are we told occurred in the locust plague? In verse 15 of chapter 10, that they covered the face of the whole land so that the land was what? The land was darkened. And they all the plants in the land and all the fruit and all the trees that the hail had left. And so we see that the darkness covering the sky, the darkness covering the clouds, the, the darkness of the locusts, right, all convey to us that this is God's judgment upon the earth, just like it was God's judgment upon evil Egypt. But likewise, what I want us to see is, so too is that smoke that rises up from the pit, that great smoke like a furnace, that too conveys to us this message or this symbol of God's judgment upon the world. And you know, you know why, how we know that? Because this is the exact same language that is used of God's judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis chapter 19, verse 28, we read this. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and here it is, and the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. And so do we see, looking at these other references then, that the great purpose of the locusts as they are released from the bottomless pit is to be a judgment. Right? That is their purpose, to be a judgment. But then we have to ask the question, a judgment from whom? A judgment from whom? Well, it's a judgment from God, brothers and sisters. This is God who sends this judgment upon the earth. Why do we know that? Because authority had to be given to them to do these things. This is exactly what we're told in our text. That a, a star fallen from heaven to the earth was given the key to the abyss. Right? He didn't have the power to open the abyss on his own. What are we told in verse 4? The locusts themselves were told what to do. What do we read in verse 5? They were allowed only to do it for a few months. See, the locusts themselves did not have the authority nor power to uh, come upon the world in such a manner and to, and to stricken the world with this judgment. They had to be given authority. And so what does this demonstrate to us in our text today? What does it demonstrate to us? It demonstrates to us that everything that happens in the world happens according to the goodwill and decree of Almighty God. That's what it shows to us. That just as He was absolutely sovereign in the plagues that He sent upon Egypt, so too God is Almighty 
sovereign and absolutely sovereign in sending forth these seal judgments and these trumpet judgments and these bold judgments upon the earth. I mean, we have to ask ourselves, brothers and sisters, as we think about this, you know, how does this uh, star that has fallen even get hold of the key to the abyss? He only gets hold to the key of the abyss because he receives it from the one to whom holds the key to the abyss which is the exalted Jesus Christ. This is what we're told in, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, that it's the exalted Christ who has the key to death in Hades. And so it is only through the authority of Christ that this being is able to open the bottomless pit. And so what we see occurring then in these opening verses of Revelation chapter 9 is this, that the same judgment that the demonic realm was judged with is now being unleashed upon the earthly realm. And that is what we see here. That the judgment upon the demonic realm is now being unleashed upon the earthly realm. But not all of the earth, is it? No, we're told only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. This again demonstrates to us that God is the one who is behind this judgment. That it is occurring at His behest. Because although He is allowing these terrible judgments to go forth, He is sparing and protecting His people the entire time. All the way through. And so we need to see that, that these are, things are occurring at the behest of God. That these are judgments that do not go forth upon His people, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads and who, are, and who have pledged allegiance really to the Prince of Darkness. And so I hope we see then this morning what the origin of the locust is, what the purpose of these, uh, of this judgment is, which is to be a judgment upon the unsealed. And that leads us then to our second point this morning, which is the commission and the form of the locust. The commission and the form of the locust. Please look with me at verses four to six. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Now here I want us to see a major difference between the eighth plague in Exodus chapter 10 and this fifth trumpet that we see. Right? What we see in Exodus chapter 10 is that the locust judgment right, was upon the earth, wasn't it? it? They were told to eat the vegetation and they came and they ate all the, all the fruit of the tree so that there was no green thing left upon the trees. But the actual the opposite is, is told here. The, the locusts are commissioned not to harm the grass not to harm the plants and not to harm the trees, but only those who do not have the seal of God upon their foreheads. They likewise were given a, a time frame to do it, but they were also commissioned that they could not kill them, but only torment them. And so we see here the, the commission of the locusts right, to go forth to all of those who reject the one true living God and the only Savior Jesus Christ and the persecutors of His church, and they were to torment them. 
Now, here's where the idea of the seal comes back into play for us that we read about some weeks ago. Before the Lord unleashed the sealed, judge, the, the sealed judgments, what happened? God's people needed to be sealed first, right? And why was that? Why did God's people need to be sealed before the judgments were, were released? We said it was to spiritually protect God's people. So that when the fiery trials came upon them, that they would not lose faith and that they would not fall away from the Lord. And so that seal was to safeguard their faith. But what do the unsealed not have? They don't have any spiritual protection. They have no safeguard. And so they are open to the assaults and the wiles of the devil. And this is the judgment then that God has brought upon the earth in this fifth trumpet. Right? Hell is opened up. It's pictured as being opened up for us. And the demons rise forth out of it and terrorize the ungodly. Right? They, they torment their souls. They bring with them deception and delusion and sin and moral darkness. We read in verse 3, they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. Do you see, brothers and sisters, right? these locusts were sent to harm, to injure, and to sting. right? To sting and attack the poor soul of sinful men and women. And so what John describes for us is the, the power and the influence that hell itself has upon the hearts of sinful men and women today. For John, in many of his writings outside of the book of Revelation, he uses darkness as being symbolic of spiritual blindness, doesn't he? And that too we need to see in our text today. right? As that smoke arises out of the pit and bring darkness over the sun and the air. What we need to see is that that is symbolic of too the, the delusion and the deception that comes forth out from this hellish pit that blinds the eyes of the unbelievers. And it torments the unbeliever, doesn't it? Do not the lies of this earth torment the unbeliever? I mean, think about just in our own day today. Think about the lies of human sexuality and gender that are being taught today. Does it not torment the souls of those young individuals? Does it not torment the souls of them when they get older and realize what they have done to their bodies and mutilating them? Believing the lies of their parents and their teachers and those around them. Right? It brings torment to the souls of those individuals. Think about the, the deception that young folks are told about right, how good promiscuity is. And yet, think about the great torment to their souls that, that being promiscuous brings to them. Right? How it affects them all the days of their life. I mean, just think about all the deceptions and all the lies that this world says and just think about the effect that it has upon people. That this earth is billions of years old or that we evolved from, from animals. Do, do the souls of these people who believe these things find any peace in this life? No. Right? How many of them feel lost and hopeless, and purposeless, and they want to do nothing more than take their own lives, extinguish their own souls. But they don't. Right? The utter feeling of hopeless torment is also the result of the deception that this world teaches us. That we are to, to live for ourselves. That everything is about us. 
That we are the center of all things. That we are to live to make ourselves happy. Right? This self-absorption is a, is a lie of the devil which causes so many to in, engage in a journey of everlasting uh, discovery of happiness and, and pleasure and self-love which they can never find in themselves and will always lead them to disappointment. But they're always trying to do what? They're always trying to find the, the next thing that will do the trick. But nothing ever does. Right? The deception, the lies, the beguiling that they believe in causes them never to find peace nor rest. Even for some people, they may even look to religion right, to escape the torment. And so some people go to Catholicism. Some people turn to Islam because they are promised their what? Liberty. Peace. All promises that they cannot back up. All false promises that will only lead these individuals to disappointment. I want you to to think about this. Just take the, the Catholic Church, for example. Think about how cruel and wicked they are to their followers. Someone's soul is tormented and they turn to the Catholic religion and they hold down upon them this idea of this constant penance. This repetitive prayers over and over and over again. And after a life of constant penance and constant repetitive prayer, there is no rest still for you. Purgatory is your home. How cruel and wicked. What a devilish lie that comes from the pits of hell against those who have forsaken the Gospel. And so God permits these lies to go forth and to strike the unbelieving as they continue to be blind people following after blind guides. Was it not too, brothers and sisters, the a devilish lie that caused our first parents to sin. It was that first great lie of the devil that stung our first parents and likewise stung all of humanity with it. And he and all the demonic hosts are united in further destroying God's people in the souls of the unbelievers as a judgment for sin. And God gives sinners up to this and to these lies as He removes His restraining grace for them, that they fall deeper and deeper into their sin. Yet, brothers and sisters, we need to see that our text tells us that this is relegated to a particular time. We're told that in verse 5, that this was only for a period of of five months, not to kill them, but to torment them. Now, there are many interpretations of what the five months is. Is it something literal? Is it something figurative? Uh, if it's literal, what is it describing? If it's figurative, what is it describing? There are so many things, and I don't want to go off on a rabbit's trail and go through them all. I want us to, to see the, the big picture of the fifth trumpet. And so, it will suffice it to say this, that in a book in which almost all the numbers are figurative in meaning, in a book in which the time periods are figurative in meaning, you know, a thousand years, about half an hour, right? The hour of testing, ten days that we read about, as Jesus or as uh, Jesus had John write to the churches, in a text in Revelation nine in which it is all figurative, right? The angel who has a key 
who opens a prison, all figurative language, that it is consistent to interpret then the five months likewise, right? As, as simply being a definite period of time in which God will permit this to happen, right? He will not allow it to go on forever. And so that's how we are to see the, the five months. But here with that being said, we see the commission of the locusts. But now let us look at the form of the locusts. Because their form likewise indicates to us that they are not to be taken literally. Right? First of all, we read in chapter, <clears throat> chapter 9, verses 7 to 10, the word like eight times. Right? The word like is used eight times. And so we are not to expect some horse-shaped locusts gallivanting around with these long, luscious locks. Right? Rather, what we are to see is that these what, what is being described for us, the form is, is, is meant to convey a truth or reality to us. Right? It is meant to, to describe for us the, the terrifying, the fierce, and the strong nature of these, of these demons and their evil powers. Like in Joel chapter 2 verse 4, we read that, that, ain't, that the, excuse me, that the locusts come upon the Israelites like horses. So we see that in, in Joel chapter 2 verse 4. Why is that? Because they're ready for war. They're ready to charge. They're ready to invade. But in Revelation, what do we see? We see new features added, don't we? We see crowns. Crowns are symbolic of what? The crown is symbolic of, of their victory over those in whom they were sent to destroy, which is the ungodly. We see that they have human faces, which is symbolic for what? They are rational beings who are cunning. We see what else? That they have hair like a woman and teeth like a lion, which convey what to us? Right? That they are deceptively beautiful. Right? That they are seductive in nature. Yet at the same time, as their lies deceive you with seduction, it comes in the back end and it, it bites you. It, it tears you to pieces like a lion and it will ultimately destroy you. Likewise, we're told they had breastplates. Well, what are breastplates usually used for? Right? They are armor in war. And so it, it tells us that these locusts that come forth are impenetrable against their enemies. Right? The ungodly cannot fight off the attack. Likewise, their wings symbolize the, the speed at which they go forth and assault those who dwell on the earth. And so herein, brothers and sisters, lies for us this terrifying vision of what these locusts do to those who do not have the seal of God upon their heads. And yet, brothers and sisters, we need to see that this is a true and an accurate portrayal of the powers of darkness upon the human heart that you and I are not able to see. And yet, what I want us likewise to see is that they do not do this on their own. They have a leader. And that leads us to our third and our final point, which is the leader of the locusts. Please look with me at verse 11 then together. They have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. Now it is in this verse, brothers and sisters, verse 11, that we find out the identity of the, star, of the fallen star in verse 1, who had the key to the bottomless pit. Now there are a lot of debates about who that being is in verse 1. Who is that being that, that fell from heaven to earth? There are a lot of debates over that. And usually the debate ar arises around 
the question is, is this a good being or is this an evil being? Now, there are many who say this is a good being. This is actually the, the angel of Revelation 20 who opens the abyss and as Satan is cast into it. But I think for many reasons we are not to take the being of, Re- of Revelation 9.1 to be a good angel, but rather we are to see him to be a, a fallen angel. One of the reasons is because in Revelation 20, what are we told? Look with me there quickly. Revelation chapter 20. In the very first verse of Revelation chapter 20, then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. So what we need to see first is that to come down, or when Jesus, we're told this, descends, is something far different and conveys a much different meaning than something that falls. It's even Jesus Himself who uses this fallen language about the devil in Luke chapter 10, verse 18, to describe the, the judgment of Satan. He says, and then he said to them, I saw, a, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Right? Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from lightning to heaven. It's that same Greek word, pipto, that's used in Luke 18, that is likewise used in our text today in Revelation 9.1. That is not the same word used in Revelation 20. Right? So we need to see that coming down and descending describes what, what the good angels do. Falling is, describes to us what happens to the evil or the wicked angels. And we see the same language then used even later in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. There we read this. And the great dragon was what? Thrown down. The ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And so we see that language of, of falling or the angel being, or the language of being thrown down used of Satan, right? Of e- evil angels, not good angels. Likewise, one note of clarification as well. What we need to understand is that John isn't seeing this star fall. You might not get that as we look at verse 1. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. If you don't know the, the Greek language, you wouldn't understand that. Because what, it, what this word fall or fallen here, it is used in the, in the uh, perfect tense. And in Greek, in the perfect tense, it describes a past action. So that John doesn't see a star falling. But John has seen a star that has already fallen. Okay? We see that. And for all of these reasons, then I believe that we ought to conclude that the star from verse 1 that fell from heaven to earth is most probably Satan himself. It's most probably Satan himself. This is the same one that Isaiah describes in Isaiah 14, verse 12, where we read this, How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn? How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. And so we see that the, the fallen star is then likewise picked up in verse 11 and called what? He's called the angel of the bottomless pit. And the angel of the bottomless pit is identified as the king of the demonic locust. 
And so I ask you all here today, who rules over the demonic realm? Who is king of the demons? It is Satan, of course. Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. Satan is called the prince of demons. And what is Satan's job? What is Satan's goal? Is it not to destroy souls? Well, guess what, brothers and sisters? Those, those two names here in the Hebrew and the Greek mean destruction and destroyer. That is what those two words mean. Now, some commentators point out that Apollyon may also be a reference to the god Apollo. It may be referencing that because during this time, the ruler is Domitian, and Domitian considered himself to be an incarnation of the god Apollo. And so here, it might likewise be kind of playing on words to, to demonstrate that, that, that the devil, the destroyer himself, is likewise behind the works of Domitian, who was the ruler at that time, and, and all rulers who claim to be an incarnation of the god Apollo. But at the end of the day, brothers and sisters, as we begin to draw ourselves to a close, what I want us to see is what this all means. Right? What it all means that Satan is the destroyer, the, the, the destroyer of, of the ungodly. And what that means is that the devil, right, for all those who bow down before him and serve him, he is not their friend. He is, does not treat them as a, as a tender and loving father. He does not care for them. He does not have compassion for them. Rather, he looks to destroy them. Right? For those in this world who have pledged allegiance to the devil, he pledges to destroy them. That is their reward. Right? He, he hurts his own allies. He rewards those who faithfully serve him with destruction and delusion and torment. And so how foolish it is for anyone to serve the one who seeks to destroy their souls. But this is the judgment that comes upon the unbelieving world for their sin and for their continual rejection of Christ. Thinking that they are wiser than God, that they know better than God. As a result, what is it that our Lord proclaims? In Isaiah chapter 48, verse 22, There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. There is no peace for the wicked. Right? The sin of unbelief rains curses down upon this world. And so the question is, brothers and sisters, how do we overcome the world? How do we break free from the curses that befall the world? Well, John tells us in 1 John 5.4, and this is our victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And it is Christ who has come to redeem us from the curses. Likewise, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse. Right? This is what Christ has done for you today. If you believe, this is why we needed Christ to come down and be made like you and I. So that He might be that faithful and merciful high priest before God, offering Himself up as a sacrifice for sinners. Remember, brothers and sisters, that what is described for us today occurs to the ungodly, not the godly. This too is why the Christian martyr throughout history has gone to their death, not with torment in their hearts, but with joy. This is why the, the Christian who is terminally ill with cancer and only has months to live can live out the rest of their life in peace and not torment. 
Because they have been sealed by Almighty God. Sealed from these judgments. They cannot be touched by Satan's judgments here. Can they? Because God, although they are afflicted physically, has sealed them and will not allow them to be spiritually destroyed by Satan. as They are kept for the day of redemption. And so see, brothers and sisters here, Christ and Christ alone is your only remedy. It is Christ who came to destroy the works of the devil. And He has done that very thing. Right? He has accomplished that upon the cross at Calvary. Right? Jesus was stung by the scorpion's tail so that we might be freed from that sting evermore. And now let us see at the same time, although we are protected, that God uses Satan to continue to punish this wicked world. But fear not, brothers and sisters, right? for your faith is being protected. Your faith is being protected. And while this world grows hopeless, each and every day we ought to grow more hopeful as we remain in the truth of God's Word. But this, brothers and sisters, is why we mustn't ever neglect God's Word. Why we mustn't ever turn from His doctrines and from His truth, but remain in them, or else you might suffer the grave consequences of that sin, which is torment. The torment which the wicked receive. And with that being said, we see in verse 12, that the first woe has passed. But behold, take notice for two more woes are to come. And brothers and sisters, we will pick up on the, the sixth trumpet and the second woe as we return and meet together next week. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that You reveal Yourself as our protector, that You are our safe haven, that You, Lord, reveal to us that although we may be bodily afflicted as Your sons and daughters, that we will never fall away from the faith, that You will you will keep us in the bosom of Christ all the days of our life. Please, Lord, each and every day, continue to make this uh, truth a greater reality to us. Lord, help to cause us to be in Your Word each and every day that we would not fall prey to the wiles of the devil and that we would not uh, be forced to, to, uh, to, to suffer the consequences of, of falling under the deceptions that these devilish locusts come to present before us. And so, Father, we come before You this morning asking all things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.